come on. Lord, I love you right now while you can tell them. Let the Lord know. Let them know that you love them. I love you, For never let you down. Lord, you need to know it right now. Right now. That we love you. Vessels, Lord, that I love you, Lord. I love you. Just want to tell you, Lord. Lord, use us as your vessel to spread your holy word. Lord, I love you more than the devil is constantly trying to try us, Lord, but it don't matter because we love you. Lord, I love you more than Jesus remember when I was when I was a kid um, we'd be driving down the street and I would see other children playing on a playground and they would look Linda like they were having such a great time such a wonderful time and I remember thinking I want to get out and have a good time like that with them and then I got mature enough in church to realize that you can see people having a magnificent time in the worship service. And it's just like riding by in a car. You say to yourself, I want to have a good time like that in the Lord, but you just seem to keep on riding on by. Can I tell you, you got to get out of the car. <laughs> in order to have a good time. You can't keep driving by because the good time is outside of you. <laughs> Come on now. This, this song is, I love this song for a lot of reasons. It, it's nostalgic at 45th Street. We've been singing it for years. But it always seems new to me because the song is not about this church. It really is a tribute to the Lord. And you really shouldn't sing this song if you don't mean it. If you, if you don't love him, if you don't worship, and if you don't adore him, then maybe you shouldn't sing this song. But if you do, and it'll tell, 
There used to be a part in there where the singer would say, more than anything, everything, you're the reason why I sing. I love you, Lord. The question is, does that apply to you? You don't have to have a good voice. I know. <laughs> to sing with, your, <laughs> sing with your eyes closed. You know, that means you singing when you sing with your eyes closed. For real, yeah. Yes, uh, that's how they, you ain't ever seen it. On all them shows with a singer getting down, they got their eyes closed. Yeah. I'm glad to be back with you this Sunday. I'm sorry I wasn't able to be here last week. I want to thank my friend and my brother. Cass is my brother. Yeah, Cass is my brother. We, we pledge the same fraternity. We pledge the same fraternity. We are in the Jesus frat together. Yes, sir. Anything after the Jesus frat is a step down. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's what makes us all unified. I see these sigmas and kappas and Qs in here, and I call them all my brother. Yeah, from that, that's what makes us unique. Even this. The sorority members are my, are my brothers and sisters, too. Now, come on now. Come on, we are together in this. There's no division. Yeah, the only color we got is the blood-stained robe of Jesus Christ. That's all we got. Anything else doesn't matter. And guess what? You don't have to have gone to college or any school to be a part of this organization. You can be a part of it anyway. All you have to be done is dipped in the blood of Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters. Yeah. I know, I know people wonder all the time, I'm going to say this and I'm going to move on to this message, why we're always talking about these fraternities and sororities and what, what difference they make. And if you've never been in that space before on a college campus, then you probably wouldn't understand the significance of those organizations. Um, most of the leadership on those college campuses come from those organizations. Most of them, or just about all of them. And they really do, most of the time, make for the betterment of man and woman on those college campuses. And so, uh, could we be doing more through those organizations? Absolutely. But that's true of the church, too. We could be doing more through the church. We could be doing more through all these organizations, the Masons, everything could be doing more. But uh, if you go around and poll, most of the leaders across the country in these organizations touch these Greek-lettered organizations at some point. And that's why we're always talking about it. And it's true. It's true. I've traveled all across this country and I've traveled around a little bit outside this country. I never have gone to a place and not found a fraternity brother. It's always somebody there that I can see that draws a connection to me. That might not mean anything until you need somebody. If you need somebody, then I got some connecting me that I can draw on to say, hey man, I need some help. And, and, and I feel an obligation to support them. I uh, went last week and celebrated with one of our friends here at the church. His name is Maurice Delane, Pastor Delane. He's been pastoring for about three years now over near Winona, Brownsville is the area they call it. 
and he asked me last fall, last October or so, to come and to bring a word for his men's day. And there's not been a time during these 20 years that I've been here that I called on Maurice Delane and he didn't come and help. And that was not always a time when I was here when I had friends and brothers, not always, like Casanova. Y'all remember some period of time, it was just me over there. And if you don't remember, I remember. <laughs> I remember when it was Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and then some would come up and I'd have to be off. And I could always pick up the phone and say, Mo, I need you. Can you come and support us and help? And he always came. He always came. And so I felt an obligation to go and support him during this time. And unfortunately, because of the way churches have changed post-COVID, people don't have afternoon programs anymore. And so his program was at 11 o'clock. Oh, well, it was at, actually, it was at 10 o'clock. And, um, and so we were there, and we went and celebrated with him. And we thank God for the ministry he has over there on that side of town, I think. I think he's doing a fine job. All right, but don't worry, I know how to say no, too. No, I mean, that's important. Watch yourself, Ingrid. I ended a, a sermon series the week before that when I asked the question, and some of you were able to answer when I asked if, if you were in, all right? If you understood that you were invested and included in the body of work that Christ has us doing. And today I want to go down um, a similar path, similar path. I want to talk to you about some of our responsibility as believers. It's going to take on a little different tone. Uh, but if you would turn to the gospel according to St. Mark. I think there are some stories that we hear from the Bible that are life-changing, life-impacting impacting. In fact, there are some stories that we have that can change your life. And so uh, this is one of those, this is one of those stories from the Bible that I think can help us out and can change us for the long haul. Change us moving forward in our walk and our witness. And it's one of those, a sneaker, it is a, a sneak up on you. Doesn't seem to be, you know, it's not parting the Red Sea. It's not one of those situations. It's not Bush talking to you on the side of the mountain. It's, it's not that. It's really simple. And because we don't live in this space anymore, we, 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 the Bible was written when an agrarian farming community was, was, was the foundation that they were writing these parables about. We don't know anything about farming anymore. And so to use farming analogies creates problems for us. But that's exactly what Jesus used in this instance. And so we'll do some, try to do some explaining as we're you know, getting to the points that we're trying to make. But Mark, this is the only gospel that this story is found in, which is unusual, all right? Of the four synoptic gospels, uh, is, this is the only one. So let's read what the Lord inspired Mark to write, starting at chapter 4, verse 26. Yeah. And he wrote, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, 
the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. All right, thus ends the reading of the passage of scripture at verse 29. Mark 4, 26 through 29, the one you probably wanna pay attention to because I believe it will help you as you grow into becoming a witness for Jesus Christ. And everybody in here is, by your calling as a believer, is a witness to Jesus Christ. Everybody in here, by your calling into the family of Jesus Christ, the family of God, has a responsibility to talk to other folk about Jesus Christ. You may not talk to folk from a pulpit like I've been called to do, or like Cass has been called to do, even like Tara has been called to do, but wherever you are in life, you're supposed to be telling somebody about Jesus Christ. If you think that the message can just get out with just the preachers, then that's a problem, all right? And I came today to lift up some burdens from your shoulders because we, to a person, can get intimidated when it comes to witnessing about Jesus Christ. We can talk about everything else. We can talk about a whole lot of things, but when it comes to telling somebody about Jesus Christ, telling somebody about just the change he's made in your life, we get mute and we get quiet and we get intimidated. We can talk about sports. <clears throat> we can talk about the Ricky Smiley morning show all day long. We can talk about all that stuff that don't mean nothing. But when it comes to giving somebody some information that is life changing, oh y'all, we, 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 we struggle. We struggle in a mighty way. And so this message and this parable speaks to Christians about the fear of our failure in evangelism, all right? Fear of failure in evangelism. I'm not gonna ask you to show me by raising your hands or anything, just your awareness. I wanna raise your awareness. When was the last time you had a conversation about somebody, to somebody, with somebody about Jesus Christ? When was the last time? Just, just think about that. When was the last time you actually had a conversation with someone about Jesus Christ and about the difference he can make? And, and then let's, let's widen the net a little bit. When was the last time that person you talked to, if it happened, was not already in the body of Christ? Wasn't already a believer, all right? When was the last time? It's easy to talk. It's easy for the quarterback to talk to the center about football. All right? Or to talk to the wide receiver about football. It's hard explaining football. Me, me, and I don't, don't, this is going to be a little chauvinistic. You ever met a woman who can't stand sports? Don't really want to watch it? I don't know nothing about no sports. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And then you try to explain football to them. That's a hard thing. Well, why they throw the ball like that? Well, why they keep just running into the folk on the line? That's what they say all the time. Why, why do they do that? Why don't they just run to the outside? And explaining that is difficult because they don't have a basis of knowledge to even start from in the first place. And it's funny at a certain point, but it's also frustrating. It's also frustrating. I'll tell you another thing that's frustrating. You ever sat down, if you've never done this before, a child that has not learned to read yet, doesn't know anything. You ever tried to help that child learn how to read? <laughs> Say that again. Yes, I got a couple of reading coaches in here who can tell you they do it professionally. Few of them, they do it, they get paid to do it. And it is a tough job when there is no foundation at all of reading, when they really don't even know their alphabet and trying to get them to a place of understanding is difficult. So now take reading out of it and let's put, I don't know anything about nobody named Jesus. I wasn't raised in a house where folk prayed. I don't even know what praying is. You know, and I heard people say God, but I don't really know who God is. And all them stories y'all talk about, I don't know anything about it. And I'm trying to explain to you this hard concept called salvation and being saved. I guarantee you, you start talking at that level to somebody who's never heard anything, you've already lost them before you even start the conversation. And yet, that's our responsibility, to help people get to that point. And so it helps if we become comfortable in our own salvation story. You gotta know how you came to be in the space that you are and be and be comfortable with it. One of the dominant reasons that it's hard for people to talk and why they're reluctant is because they feel like they're going to fail in the conversation. Well, we feel that way, you know, I'm gonna tell them and they just, it's not gonna help me. It's not gonna mean, I mean it's not gonna help them and, and, and it's gonna, not gonna mean anything. Fear of failure is one of the greatest reasons why people don't start doing something in the first place. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, and so today I wanna lift that burden off you, okay? I wanna lift that and I wanna do that by saying to you, uh, the outcome is not on you, okay? All right, turn to your neighbor and say, it ain't on me. The outcome is not on you. It's not. Your responsibility is to just tell the story. That's what you are supposed to do. Just tell the story. Don't worry now, preachers get tripped up on this all the time. Every pastor and preacher, when they get up and preach, think that somebody's supposed to walk the aisle every time they get through preaching. 
And for a long time, you get beat up over that because you say, it's been seven Sundays and ain't nobody joined the church. But that doesn't mean somebody didn't get help. And it doesn't mean somebody's life isn't changing. That's not the metric you need to be looking at to make a difference in somebody's life. I don't have to be here uh, 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 20 years, well, I have been, but I don't have to be here for you to tell me that God has made a difference in your life. If I wasn't even at 45th Street, if I was just watching some of y'all from outside this perspective, I could look at your life and tell you your life is different. Your life is not only different, your life is better. I might not know that the connection was through the church, but I know you got something in your life that's making you better. I happen to have a unique perspective, and I know I can see the difference of you coming in the first time and you coming in this time. And that's how life is. Now, it's not universal, but it does, it does appear to me that some of you have been made better because of your walk and your witness. Can I tell you, if you've been around here for all these years, you can see a difference in me in 20 years. Oh yeah, it may not be big differences, and I'm not talking about my weight, all right? Yeah, yeah, that goes up and down. Yeah, but yours does too, all right? I can see the difference in you. Sometimes I see more of you than I see at other times. That's just how it is. But I can, just like I can tell the difference in your physical appearance, I can tell the difference in your walk and your talk and your witness in your conversation. I can tell that you're more mature in how you express yourself, all because there's a change going on in your life. Christians talking about witnessing activities are reluctant because we're just folks. I, I can't tell you that just becoming a Christian gives you automatic courage, remember, <laughs> to talk to folk. Anybody who tells you that, it's not being genuine with you. It's simply not. You don't automatically get an infusion of the knowledge of theology just because you become a believer. You have to study. You have to go to somebody who knows more about it than you do. You have to learn why the Bible is the Bible. Why do we use these books put together to talk about the Lord and Jesus? Why is it this? Why don't we use Encyclopedia Britannica? to do that. Why is it this canon that we deal with when it comes to teaching people? And why is it believable? Because it's full of language that I don't understand. Words and people's names that I can't pronounce in places that are nowhere around Eastlake. Why is that relevant to my life right now? Learning how to talk about that is important. And so back to this parable that we have that I believe unlocks the mysteries of all those questions that I just put to you. Um, the reason why it's not as much pressure as you think is simply because of the nature of how God has planned things. All right? And, and 
the writer uses a simple parable to tell us how things grow, how they are planted and how they grow. The first thing I want to tell you in understanding this is your job when it comes to talking to people about Jesus Christ and about the kingdom of God, your job is twofold. You, you, this is all you have to do. You have to plant and you have to pray. Those two things, all right? You have to plant and you have to, you have to pray. That's your job. Plant, pray. What does that mean? Verse 26 through 27 that the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Now watch this. It didn't say that your job was to do anything other than plant. That's all. Scatter the seed. What does that mean, Karen? That means when you at work, talk about your relationship with the Lord. That's scattering. When you're at home with your children, talk about your relationship with the Lord. That's, that's scattering. <laughs> All right? When you're in the yard talking to neighbors, pepper it with conversation about your life and how good God has been. That's called scattering. All right, and whether you know it or not, you preaching. All right, by another name, you just preaching because right now somebody in here is having seeds scattered on them. Right now, just learn to pepper your conversation with good things like how good the Lord has been with you, and the more mature you get in your walk and witness, it becomes seamless. When you first become a believer, you think you have to go to folk and, and quote scripture. You, you try to talk to them and say, well, let's say in the Bible, it's such and such and such and such. And you're trying to quote scripture and you find yourself nervous because you misquoting the scripture. All right, and you can't call the chapter and verse and that's not probably going to be effective anyway because you're quoting to a place that that person has no reference. And so how is quoting a scripture to them going to be as effective if you can't unpack that scripture and tell them what it means? But you can talk to them about your life. You can talk to them about the fact that your life was tore up from the flow up. You can tell them about you were walking in a way that did not benefit you and your family. And you can simply make a soft turn and say, but I met this man who took me to church. And immediately, I didn't, I didn't jump on church because it was kind of strange in there. You know, everybody seemed to be kind of dressed different than me. And everybody in there seemed like they understood what was going on more than I did. But I kind of liked the vibe that was going on in there. You know, nobody, nobody jumped on me and pushed me away. All you're doing is talking to them about life. And somehow, that kind of connection draws people in and all you're doing is scattering. And the other thing you got to do while you're scattering that conversation, scattering, is praying. You're praying. Now let me see if I can make this a little bit easier for you. Anybody in here besides me, a baker, raise your hand. Uh, a baker. Yeah. 
a baker. Can you bake something, a cake or, yeah, yeah, can you bake? Yeah, okay, cookies, okay, that's fine. You a baker, brother, don't let nobody tell you, you ain't no baker. Yeah, it can be them little pull-aparts, that's, that's baking. That's baking. You don't have to get flour all over you and all that stuff to, to be a baker. You can, you know, Nestle chocolate chips out the package. That's baking. What, what did it say? When you pull it out of the oven, I mean out of the package and put it on the tray, it says bake in oven. If, if you're going to do that, you got to be a baker, all right, to put it in the oven. You ain't got to know how to make donuts and all that kind of stuff to be no baker. Yeah, okay. See, people will minimize your ability. <laughs> yeah, just because I don't have one of them little white hats and all that. Anyway, when you take whatever it is you're going to bake, when you prepare it in whichever manner you're going to prepare it, Mason, you finish it, it's now ready to go into the place for development. All right? Now, Preparation matters. Preparation matters because if you have not done the proper preparation, you're not going to get the outcome once it goes into the place of development. If you haven't put the right stuff in the cake batter, the cake, Tyrone, won't rise. It'll stay in there and something will happen, but you won't get the desired outcome. But when you put the finished product that you've created into the oven and close the door. What can you do to make the process happen in the oven? Nothing. You can do nothing. Whatever's going to happen inside of that oven is completely up to the elements in the oven. The same thing is true with the seed that you scatter. When you put it in somebody's mind, in their heart, there's nothing you can do to make them believe what you've just said. And yet we start trying to make folk come to Christ. We start trying, and you'll start arguing with them. When they say they don't understand, usually argument is a sign that somebody's frustrated. Frustration comes from a lack of understanding, all right? We're not communicating effectively, and you probably lose them as soon as the argument starts. It's over. But you can't do anything, come back, Andre, to the parable. The parable says that it's scattered, and the second verse says night and day. Night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. What you have scattered based on the elements that God puts that seed in is going to start to take shape some kind of way and you are not in control of how it grows. Take the pressure off yourself. All you have to do is scatter or plant and pray. Why is prayer so powerful? That you know that there's 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 a whole lot of power in prayer. Oh, oh yeah, when you when you pray. Oh, prayer can help folk get up out of hospitals. Uh -oh, I, I, now I don't need to go through and do a whole lesson on prayer 
But see, because if I got to do that and you are witnessing, if you don't understand the power of prayer, then you don't understand the power of heat in an oven. All right? Oh, 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 yeah. I forgot to tell you, when you put that batter or whatever it is you're going to bake in the oven, it's important to turn it on. <laughs> yeah, you got to turn the heat on. And that's what praying is. All right, you turn, the power source for growth comes from turning the oven on. You can take the oven, the, 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 the tray or whatever it is you're baking and put it in a cold oven, no heat in it, and you can come back in 20 days and nothing will have happened. All right, but when you put the source of the growth in it, the power, then things can happen. Not in your control, the same thing happens. When you scatter the, the, the seed of knowledge to people and then turn on hell of the power the turning on the power is simply praying praying Lord help if you don't know the proper words to say there you go right there two simple words Lord help yeah Lord bless Lord do what you do Lord Help them. That's all you got to say. You don't have to pray like anybody else. You don't have to get a certain intonation in your voice. You, simply, you can even think it. God knows that, you know. Help this person, Lord. Plant and pray because you can't make anybody do anything. And I can make that even plain to you. How many of y'all grew up in a house and you were blessed to have parents or leaders in your house, grandparents, grandma, and they told you, now when you leave here, you better behave. Don't do nothing crazy when you get out. I was, and when I got outside the door, going where I was going, in fact, as I was leaving the house, I was planning to do something crazy. And it didn't matter that my mama told me not to do nothing crazy. No, I went to do crazy stuff. And there was nothing my mama could do at the house except, come on now, y'all hear me. And I believe it's because she was at home praying, because I certainly wasn't praying for myself. I believe the prophylactic of her prayer brought me back home some nights when I should have been by all rights tore up from the float up based on my plans when I left the house. Now, she said, do right, Andre, Donnell, Donnell. But there was nothing that mama could really do once it left her mouth to protect you. And can I tell you, even if she had come with me sometime, I still had a mind to do wrong. Oh yeah, I can't tell you how many times I sat in church making googly eyes at some little girl sitting next to my mom. <laughs> Bucking my eyes at her, throwing them so, <sighs> Mama couldn't see me. So, see in the back of the church. This is what happened. It, it, you can't protect them like that. 
all you can do is put it out there for them. Plan it and pray. And then the second thing you need to know is the ways of God are not our ways. And so the ways we make things grow, the, the way we make things happen, don't necessarily, don't ever really fit with what we do. God's ways are his ways. And it blows our mind how he can take anybody in here besides me ever had your worst experience at one point in your life become the foundation for your best success later. Oh, somebody in here, yeah, you, you messed up at one point in your life. Yeah, you were messed up for a while, only to find out 10 years later that it was that mess up, that experience, that mess up, that provided the foundation for you to step up. Yeah, only God can take a wrong and make it a right. Man can't take a wrong and make it a right. In fact, if it was up to man, man won't ever let you forget that you messed up. He'll keep you in that place for years. And God has turned it around. And I know it's true because I know some folk in here have benefited from the mess up that they had. They might not want you to ever think they were in that space. Oh, yeah, but they, they, they messed up in a bad way. And God straightened it out for them. What the old folk used to say, you, you think you got to have a theology degree to understand that, right? Deb knows that the old preachers used to say in here and say, can't nobody but God take a crooked stick and make it straight. Yeah, that's what they used to say. Now, it's the same theology. You can be crooked, and God can straighten you, straighten you out. God's ways are not, not our ways. No, 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 no. Look, look, Isaiah chapter 55 helps us understand what I'm talking about here. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my way, your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God has wisdom that exceeds our capacity to understand. A person is not always going to see the victory or reap the harvest in their lives. Can I tell you something? Some of us are living on the prayers of somebody gone to glory. Right now, they planted seed in you when you were a child that is only now blossoming and you are benefiting from it right now and they had no expectation that they would see the harvest, but they had every expectation that God would make it happen. See, that's our problem right now. We always want to see the end result right now. The truth of the matter is, I'm about to turn 60 years old. My prayers for my grandboys exceed my expectation of my life capacity, all right? Because by the time they reach their 30s and 40s, by any natural definition, Andre is likely to be gone to glory. But my prayers for them exceed those chronological years. Not only do my prayers for them exceed, my prayers for their children 
exceed. And the things that I do right now is laying seed not only for them and their life, but for generations to come. I don't expect God to keep me around here just so I can have a front row seat to him blessing them. God can bless them without me being around. Because when it goes in the oven, ain't nothing I can do about it. But God will bring the blessing away from those prayers. So learn how to pray. Pray. And if you don't understand that, then you're not grateful enough for what has happened in your own life. If you really think that it's because of your education that you're doing all right, that's foolishness. If, if you really think that somebody else didn't lay down and sacrifice for you to be in the space that you're in right now, then you are absolutely delusional because everybody who does everything right doesn't get the outcome that they desire. Some folk don't never, they live a life, they walk, they dot every I, they cross every T, they never step out of line, they are as law-abiding as anybody could ever be, but I got news for you, it's not by obeying the law, because no man is perfect enough to obey the law. It's by two things that you and I have no control over. One is called grace and the other is called mercy that you are able to realize the blessings in your life. And if you don't understand what grace and mercy is doing in your life, then you don't know the Lord. You don't know the Lord. No, 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 you don't. You don't know the Lord. I, I came to tell you as the son of somebody who died trying to live. Yeah, she didn't know when leukemia was going to show up in her body. She, she didn't live wrong. She didn't live not trying to help people. She lived trying to benefit people every day that I knew her. She lived like that. But at age 50, God said, go to sleep, my daughter. I know this the same mama who in 1963 and 64, when she found out she was pregnant, I know she started praying for that baby. <laughs> Lord, help this, this baby I'm carrying. Lord, Lord, God, this baby I'm carrying. And those prayers she prayed throughout gestation continued when I got on this side. Those prayers she prayed were prayers enough for when she could no longer see me walking. Those prayers have been blessing me ever since. I know for a fact if I'm still walking into folk that I never knew in her life, to this day, I'm meeting people when I go to churches. They come up to me and they say, hey, hey, I just want you to know, I knew your mama. I worked your mama. I never met this person in my life before. They say, I, I met your mama. And, and your mama was this and your mama was that. I know if people are still here who met my mama, then I know that the powerful prayers that my mama prayed are still working as well. Yeah, it ain't just people's memories that's still working. It's my mama's prayers that's still working as well in my life. 
And I know it's not unique to me, it's unique to you as well. The ways of God are not like us. You can't put God in a box and how he does things. John 4, 37 and 38, for this is the saying that is true. One sows and another reaps. Yeah. And he continues by writing, I sent you to reap that which you have not labored and others have labored and you have entered into their labors yeah the 45th street today was birthed out of prayers years ago somebody was praying that 110 years later this church would still be going and be vibrant that was 50 60 70 years ago them folk gone to glory now, but the prayers they prayed. Oh, it might not have had your name on it, but they said, Lord, send somebody who cares enough to keep it going. You didn't know you were the somebody that they were praying for. Yeah, you, you, you probably still sitting up here wondering something, something why, why do I come to this church? Because you were prayed for. You didn't grow up in this church, but God had this church in your DNA for you to come and be a part of the ministry that we have here. Before I came and preached that usher's anniversary in 2002, I had never heard of 45th Street Baptist Church. It's the truth. I had never, I didn't even, when I got the request to come or the invitation to come, I didn't know where it was. And I got lost trying to find it too because I was looking for 45th Street. I had never heard of it. But how many of y'all know whether I heard it or not, 45th Street was in my DNA. God was leading me here. He led me here through an invitation by somebody who was here and he's been keeping me here like only he can do. Wasn't up to nobody else. It's all on him. And the last thing I need to tell you is this and I'm out of here. Just like God's ways are, are not our ways, your victory is not defined by your vision. Oh yeah, not by what you can see. That doesn't determine whether or not you have vision. I mean, you have victory. A lot of times we have to see it to believe it, right? I can tell you right now, I have every confidence based on how, and I can tell you anecdotally, that I see it happening all the time because we are such a communication society now. It's almost like a little cheat sheet cast that I see people who were connected to 45th Street, children who we brought in, who we ministered through to through our youth ministry, who we introduced to Christ, children <laughs> who, who came in, who, who did not have families that brought them up in the body of Christ and we brought them and we loved them and we kept them in their life for whatever reason, when they got a little bit older, pulled them away from 45th Street and they ended up going in another direction. 
but then I can look now on Instagram or I can look now on, on, on uh, Facebook uh, and I can see how God is still blessing them in their lives, how they are now actively involved in the body of Christ. Can I tell you, it's almost a cheat sheet, Lynn, because if I didn't have those mediums, I wouldn't know what those kids are doing. And so I get a chance to see what we birthed in those kids. And it doesn't matter that they're not doing it at 45th Street as long as they're in the body of Christ and doing well, then you can say that the seed that we planted in them is taking full fruit, is taking full growth right now. And I came to tell you, I feel like I'm cheating because you don't always have to see what God is doing in your life. And that's true for you who got children right now, you raised up in this community and they got old enough and they decided that Birmingham wasn't the space for them to do well, but you planted seeds in them. I came to tell you, even though you can't see them being the blessing that you wanted them to be, that doesn't mean they're not being that somewhere. It doesn't mean that what you put in them is not growing up. They still probably are the ones that get called on in the office to pray. Why? Because you put them by the bed when they were little and taught them, now I lay me down to sleep. In fact, they probably even know it better now because when mom and dad ain't around no more to hold their hand, they had to learn how to depend on that unseen hand that mama and dad are dependent on. I came to tell you today, what you started will continue to grow. Even when you can't see your child no more. Even when you can't see your neighbor no more. I told you before, I got a friend who was raised in a house without his biological dad and he was raised in the house where his stepdad had died when he was a young boy. He used to be around my house all the time. And he used to see me at my intimate best and my intimate worst. He used to see me as a kid frustrated because of the stuff that I was going through with my own stepdad. He used to see me frustrated because of the way I wanted to communicate at the house, I couldn't communicate for whatever reason. He used to see me in that space and he used to see me when my daddy would tell me to do stuff and I'd be mad, Lindbergh, I'd be stumping off, cussing under my breath for real, mad. You know how children do. But he didn't see it the same way I did. And I never knew it. I never knew it until we became adults. Ayo, it was until we came adults and we were talking one day and and, and, and we were reminiscing on growing up. And he said, man, I learned a whole lot watching your daddy. And I said, what? He said, yeah, man, I used to watch your dad. I used to be so glad I was around y'all because, you know, my dad wasn't at the house. See, he came yearning for something that I was taking for granted. The stuff that frustrated me fulfill him. He wanted a dad in the house to be able to talk to him. He wanted somebody giving him chores to do, and he didn't have that at his house. And so what I saw as a burden, he saw as a blessing. We're looking at the same situation, but we got two different results out of it. And I felt so convicted when we sat there. We were having a good time talking. He, he blew my groove because I realized how spoiled and selfish I had been at that point in my life. And I had to realize as a father at that point in my life, how much more difficult I had made life for my daddy. 
just because I wasn't appreciative. He didn't know what to do all the time or how to do it, but he was there. He was trying to do it. And I can't imagine how frustrated that made it for him. And so the only thing I could do because I couldn't go back and undo it was to try to do better going forward and try to listen and hear my own child and make sure that I was present and trying to listen under those circumstances. And still plant the seed. Some of it I get a chance to see grow. Some of it I don't know if I will. And so I'm happy to tell you today, be satisfied just by planting the seed. Stop waiting to go out and pick the fruit because the fruit may not grow in your lifetime. Amen? I also got to tell you this. Get busy. There's too many kids out there right now, too many people out there right now who need you. They need to hear you talking to them. I spent Friday night with about 150 young kids at a lock-in at East Pinson Valley. It's a long time since I stayed up all night long. Yeah, my body ain't equipped for that no more. My mind wasn't ready for what I realized is the test we have with young people these days. And these were all girls. And my Lord, we ought to pay every teacher in school double what they get. Oh, they're worth it. They're worth it. I can tell you right now, just having to deal with what's going on with our young folk right now, they are, and it's, like I said, these are just the girls who I believe now, we got more trouble with our girls right now. We don't see it, but we got more trouble with our girls right now, I think, than we do with our boys. Uh, and we got trouble with the boys, <laughs> but we got more trouble with the girls. Fortunately, everything went off all right. But we're struggling, y'all. They need you. They need you just to be talking. They don't need you to be trying to preach at them. They don't trust the church. They need you to be talking to them. They need concerned neighbors. They need you to be telling them how good God has been to you. But you ain't got to always preach to them when you say that. Can you just show them how life has done you? And then when the time is right, you can show them that it was God who connected you to that. All right, but you can't start out trying to preach to them and, and take me to the waters, not every time. You can't start out with that because as soon as you do, you just push them away. Because what you don't understand, they ain't got nobody at home telling them that. Yeah, yeah. You trying to preach Jesus to them is like trying to push a peach into jello that's already set. You can't do it. You're going to tear up something trying to do it. You and I are doing pretty good because while our jello was being made, peaches were being put in it. That's why we know Jesus. You got to do it while it's liquid and it sets in you. That make me a baker too, don't it? All right. You got to be able to do that. But now we keep trying to force something on children and they haven't already gotten the information. We got to be patient, but I'm telling you now, they need us right now. Who do they need to know about? They need to know about the same Jesus that you learned about. They need to know what he did for them. They need to know that he lived. 
for them. They need to know not only did he live for them, they need to know that he came doing all the things a Savior would do. They need to know that every prophecy was fulfilled. They need to know he started out as Mary's baby, but he ended up as Mary's Savior. They need to know all these things. But how you tell them that is a mystery, and they certainly not going to get it all from me. I need you to help. Why do I keep preaching these sermons about that? Because we got to get out these walls and go into these communities. We got to tell folk what's going on. 45th Street of tomorrow ain't even in this church. 45th Street of tomorrow is out there in them streets and we got to bring them in here so they can take care of tomorrow's issues. Not only did Jesus stay on the cross and become Mary's Savior when he died, God went into that tomb. I say all the time, Daryl, that I believe it was God early Sunday morning. God left wherever God can leave. I don't think God can really leave anywhere because God is always everywhere. God is omnipresent. There's no throne that he sits on. The creation is God's throne. There's no, there's no place that God can be that he isn't. And so, but I believe that there was a space on earth that his son's body was laying in. And I believe God, in whatever way he does it, went down into that space where his son's body was. And I believe he, like any other daddy, knelt by his side and said, son, wake up, come on. And I believe he took him from the grips of death and put life back into his body. It's a funny thing about this. This life that he put into his body was forever life. He put everlasting life in his son, Jesus Christ. That means forever. What I love about this, Amy, is that that same forever life that Jesus got is available to me and you. And I know it's been given once to man to die, and then after that to judgment, but I can't to tell you I'm not going through no judgment. I'm going to a blessing, all right? Because I believe in him. Why? Because Jesus has already paid all of it. And I believe in him. The question is, do you? Do you know him? Have you offered yourself to him? If you have, then we'll celebrate together. We'll be at the forever choir rehearsal. We'll be at the forever celebration. But we need to make sure that other people are there as well. And so right now, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your own, I extend this invitation to you right now to come be a part of this church family. Be a part of the body of Christ offering Christ to you. That's my job. We offer Christ to you. Oh, my brother. Oh, we offer Christ to you.